Well, here we go, King's Church, right? We were able to ask the Lord together uh, for something, and then God answered, and uh, we were just so excited about that. And one of the things that, that really excites me the most about that is the fact that collectively what we've done is we have prayed and worked together, and then God has provided us the answer to our prayer. And so we just want to praise the Lord for that. If you don't know me, my name is Matt Autry. I'm the church planning pastor here at King's Church, and today is a wonderful day to celebrate. Thinking about today, I thought about one of the prayers that Paul writes to one of the churches that he started in the Ephesian church. And in chapter 3 of that uh, letter that he writes to them, he prays a very interesting prayer. He prays that God's Spirit would strengthen them inside, in their spirit. That God would strengthen them in such a way that they would be able to know the depth inside. They would be able to know the depths of Christ's love and to know him in his fullness. And that in knowing Christ, that listen to this, that in having that knowledge, they would be filled to the fullness of God. God's pretty full. That's a big fullness. That's a huge prayer. And to kind of cap off that prayer, he prays one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And, and one of the things that I want to challenge you and that God continually challenges me to believe about who he is. Okay, Chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him, that is God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. To him, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, both now and forevermore. We serve a God that does exceedingly abundantly beyond, right? And we need to praise him for that. And I think one of our greatest challenges is not that we think God is too big, but that we think God is too small. And when we collectively got together and asked, he gave, and he gave more than we asked. So what's the next step? What's the next step then? Ask again, right? Ask again, right? It's not like we get to retire from, uh, from the asking. We ask again. We ask according to his will. And we ask with a new measure of faith that we've recently been given. Okay, because we've seen the testimony of his prayer. We, God has given us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. That's almost the definition of contentment. It's trusting that God is big enough to give you what you need when you need it. And if you don't have it, then you don't need it. Okay? And we are here, and he gave us more than we asked for. Why? Why? Because we need to rely on the Lord again. We will never grow out of dependence on God. We will grow into it. All right, let me say that again. I'm not sure you heard me. We will never grow out of dependence on God. We grow into it. We will constantly be reaching more and more and more into the place where we have to depend on God. So what do we ask for next? We'll take a look around. What do you see? Space. Space. Space for whom? I would argue three types of people. Person number one is a person who doesn't know Christ yet. Maybe in our area, neck of the woods, 
maybe who has some type of experience with the church and Christianity at some point in their life who has walked away, forgotten or been burned, whatever the scenario is. I don't know if you know this, but uh, any given Sunday, 70% of the people in the town we call home, Columbia, South Carolina, are not in a house of worship. Okay? Um, and there are so many people who are desperate for Jesus Christ. We want to imagine a room of people who have recently come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We have space. Number two, not just people who don't know Jesus, but people who are going to take Jesus to them. Okay? Our mission at King's Church from day one has been to make disciples, nurture them in their faith, train and equip them to go into their spheres of influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring hope to people who are broken. Broken people who've been made whole going back into broken people, right? And so we want to see from our midst uh, people who are charged and ready and filled with God's spirit and passion and joy to go out into our workplaces, gyms, relationships, schools, and wherever else, taking this amazing news of a God who does exceedingly abundantly beyond. That maybe from, day, from one day from our midst we send missionaries and church planters to other parts of this country and to the world. That's who we want to fill the space. And then finally, I would say, we want other members of the family here. What I like to call us at King's Church, as best as we can, um, is a family on mission. That's our goal. Right? This is God's family. We want to be a family together on mission. We are not just an organization with a, with a strategy to implement. We are a people. A people to laugh with and share life with. So, we have space for those We are asking God, essentially, to fill this place for his glory. Not my glory, not your glory, for God's glory and for their good. Amen? So the question is, what is it going to take from you? And what is it going to take from me to see this become a reality? Another way to say that would be to say, what is it going to cost? Now let's pretend for a minute that I could make you a guarantee Uh, Let's say that if I said to you that if you could come up with $10,000 in the next 30 days, that I could promise you that in five years I could turn that $10,000 into $1 million, okay? And let's say I'm not some shyster, this is like legit, okay? And let's say you didn't have the money in the bank. What would you do to get up that $10,000? The answer is whatever it takes, Right? You'd get three jobs, you'd be eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You'd be doing whatever it takes. You'd be going to that uncle you ain't talked to in 10 years and be like, I need some money. You know what I mean? Whatever it takes, you would find a way to pull together that $10,000 for a return on investment. Short-term pain, long-term gain. And what I want us to see in this passage, Luke chapter 5 this morning, is Jesus makes no bones about it. Here and in several other passages, when he calls people to follow him, he says, it's going to be hard, it's going to be expensive. In another passage, he says, listen, I don't have a place to lay my head, I lay it on a rock. The cost of discipleship is high, but what we'll see this morning is the return on investment is worth it. Amen? Give me your attention with me to God's word. Uh, This is Luke chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennariset, 
With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats on shore and left everything and followed him. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades. but The word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray together. God, as we consider your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and through me, that you would use the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together, and that they would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Big idea this morning, the main idea is really simple, that the cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship is high, but the return on investment is priceless. The cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus is high, but the return on investment is priceless. In this passage, Peter, Andrew, James, and John left everything. That's right, everything. Why would they do that? The only reason someone in their right mind does that is if they know they're going to something better. My goal for uh, this morning is I want for us to see that we have problems in our life, but they're not problems for God. We have something here that we're asking God to do, and it's not too big for him in the slightest. I want you to leave with whatever problem that's going on now in your life, knowing that there is a solution, and it's a person. And I want you to invite you to leave everything behind to follow Christ. And I can promise you that the fruit will max out your boat, both in this life and the next. Two points. The cost of discipleship and the return on investment. The cost of discipleship and the return on investment. And we're going to talk about six things, six costs, if you will, for the cost of discipleship. The first thing is understanding what discipleship is. When, when Jesus calls these men to follow him, and it wasn't just them, there were women, there was about 72 at one point in time that he sent out, but he chose specifically 12 to put most of his investment into, right? But when he calls them in, what is he calling them to? Jesus here is calling his first disciples. What does that mean? In the Jewish world, uh, with the way that they would teach a pupil is slightly different than the way we go about it today. When we think about learning in classrooms and education, we think about those things, classrooms and desks and rows and lines, their style of learning was much more apprentice-like. You would follow a rabbi. You would follow someone around. You would, you would watch them, learn from them, live with them sometimes. 
Okay? This was a more natural way for them. In fact, in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, Paul is making an argument, and this is the argument that he makes to his accusers. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia and brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you excuse me, are today. In other words, he's saying, I had a guy that I was being discipled by. Someone that I was following and learned by, and he taught me everything he knew, and I watched him live his life. Here we see that being a Christian, following Christ, is not a side gig. It's not a compartment of your life. This is a religion that, according to the Bible, bleeds into every crevice of who you are and what you do and why you do it. That's what discipleship means. That It's all-encompassing. That a call to follow Jesus is a call to follow and submit to him with your whole life and to follow him. Secondly, submission to the word of God. Submission to the word of God. It's interesting in this passage you notice when we first got together that the people are gathering together. And you learn in, in, the, in the paragraphs before we get to chapter 5 why that is. Jesus has started teaching and he's teaching differently. Same subject matter, he's talking about the Word of God, which for him would have been the Old Testament, and, and that he wasn't the only one in town who was teaching the Old Testament, as what we would call it. Okay? There were other people, but Jesus taught it differently. When he taught, there was power. When he taught, there was authority. You see, at the time, whenever rabbis would get up and teach, they would oftentimes refer to the tradition that went before them. They would say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, and Rabbi so-and-so before him say this. They were more playing to the traditions that went before them. In other words, they weren't bringing an authority. They were pointing backwards to an authority. You following me? And when Jesus came, he brought an authority of God, which he was. And he brought the authority of God's word, which was his. And it's interesting. We typically think authority is bad. If we're in a leadership position, we try to sometimes tiptoe around the amount of authority that we give, and that's a good dance for us to walk. However, we shouldn't believe that people are not attracted to someone who knows what they're talking about and comes with authority. In fact, people are starving for it. We don't want, we don't want to see this, this wishy-washiness back and forth. We want to see someone, in, especially bringing God's word, who has this authority, and they were flocking to it by the thousands. So much so that when he's on the Sea of Galilee, which is another word for this, the Sea of Gennesaret, which, we, which is the, what um, Luke calls it here. He's on the Sea of Galilee, and so many people are coming to hear that he has to get into a boat and pull offshore and sit down. That people are flocking to hear Jesus, and if you read in the New Testament Jesus preaching, he doesn't mince his words. He's very direct with everything he says. You know, it's fascinating right now, I don't know if you've, you've seen this, but there's a guy... He's actually not a, a, a Christian. Uh, his name's Jordan Peterson, and he's getting a lot of notoriety right now. Lots and lots and lots of notoriety right now. And one of the reasons why I think people are so attracted to him is because he's just courageous. He, he just will not back down, and he has a reason for what he believes, and he stands up for it. And so he'll be on talk shows or whatever, and people will accuse him, and he'll fire right back. You see what I'm saying? And his message is particularly to men. It's interesting to men. He's saying to them, and I think this is one of the reasons why he's getting so popular, he's calling men to be men, and he's calling men to take responsibility, which is what God designed men to do. And what's fascinating 
is he's getting millions of men to subscribe and follow him. He's not asking for it, it's just happening. Why? It's because he's willing to stand up and give men permission to be who God created them to be. Right? God has called men, I love this phrase that Foster uses all the time. God has called men to be like Christ, gentle warriors. But they're searching for permission, for an authority to say that they can be who God has created them to be. And that's what Jesus was doing. He's bringing the word of God and he's bringing it an authority and the people are flocking to it and the Pharisees are threatened by it. In fact, that's why they kill him. They kill him because he's a threat to their authority. Do you know what it's going to take to fill this place with people who need Jesus Christ? Not backing down from what the word of God says and actually believing that God is powerful enough to, to defend himself. Submission to the word of God even when it's costly and not bending. Believing, for example, that gender is not fluid. That God made men to lead both in the church and in home, that church and worship on Sunday is, is one of your highest priorities, and if it's not, then you need to change your priorities. And that we treat each other better than ourselves, uh, or like we would treat ourselves, we forgive each other, we pray for our enemies, and we share our faith, which God tells us to do. That is just submitting to what the Word of God says to do. That's it. It's not inventing anything new. It's nothing new and flashy. It's just submitting to what the Word of God says. Number three, deep belief and trust in Jesus. Now you see in this passage whenever, uh, whenever Peter uh, called Simon in this passage, um, uh, Jesus renames him Peter later, but he calls to Simon and says, hey, let's go out there and catch fish. And listen, Peter's not a rookie when it comes to being a fisherman. He's not a weekend warrior. Like he owns a business. He has a partner. And what they do is fish. And they've just been out all night and got skunked. They have nothing to show for it. And if you're a fisherman at all, that's frustrating, right? You get all your gear together and stuff, and you go out and you don't catch any fish. That's very, that's very, very frustrating. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, let's go out and catch some fish. Isn't it interesting, though? Peter's already, Peter's been watching Jesus. He's, he seems to be doing some pretty incredible stuff. He says, you know what? This is ridiculous to me, but let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. Let's go out there and, and, uh, and do that. I had a, a new friend uh, tell me recently um, that uh, some folks he know went down to uh, Hilton Head to, to catch some shrimp. And they drove from Columbia three hours to get there. And they set up all their poles and, and got ready and were camped out ready to, to just take just buckets of shrimp home. And then a local pulls up and uh, puts his poles out, throws his cast net a couple times, and then says, pulls his poles back up, gets in the boat, and starts heading home. And says to, the, says to these guys, hey, listen, guys, you guys can go ahead and pack it up. Ain't, ain't no shrimp coming in here tonight. And they said, okay, that's good. We'll, we're going to hang out, though. He said, do what you want to do. They spent all night there and went home with a shrimp, right? A shrimp, okay? They weren't there. Peter's already been out there. He, listen, he's a professional fisherman. He knows where the honey hole is. They're not there. And Jesus says to go into deep water, which is not traditionally where these fish would have been. But Jesus just listens to the words. I mean, excuse me. Peter listens to the words of Jesus, calls him master, calls him Lord, and says, fine, we'll go. 
You want to just ride in the boat? We'll ride in the boat. And what was the result? They pulled in so many fish that the nets were ripping apart, and he had to flag over his partners, which have probably already beached their boats at that point, right, and bring it in. And there's so many fish in the boat that they were taking on water, not sinking, but they were taking on water as they kind of hobbled back to the shore. That's what happened when they bet on the word of God and they trusted Jesus. Abraham, whenever he was an old man and his wife had been barren, bet on the word of God. And now he's the father of a nation that's still around today, thousands of years later. How powerful do you think God is? Can you believe him to fill this place up with people who need Jesus? Can you believe him to use this church to train and send people all over the world to bring the news of Christ? Do you believe him enough to tell your uncle that unfortunately you won't be able to go to the marriage of his son to another man? Because that's not what marriage is. Do you believe him enough to help with your marriage that may be on the rocks? What else does God have to do for you to prove his power, and his love than what he's already done. He is exceedingly, abundantly beyond. That's who he is. And we are filthy sinners. And yet, he's for us. Number four, understanding God's holiness. God is holy. That word means that he is righteous. He is perfect. He, keeps his, he wrote the law. He keeps it perfectly. He does not sin. He is incapable of sinning. There is something impossible for God, one thing, to sin, okay? He is good, he is right, he is sinless. And in light of this experience that just happened to Peter, he understands this. Maybe it's because, it, maybe it took the fact that Peter knew fishing. And this was directly, this was a miracle that happened in his line of work. I don't know what it was, but Peter understands that he's in God's presence at this moment and hits his knees and says, I am a sinful man tainted by sin. Please get away from me. And if we are going to count the cost, one of the things that has to happen is we have to understand God's holiness and our sinfulness, which means when we approach him, we approach him with humility. And we also realize that, that God does not tolerate sin. Many of you may be baffled why God is not blessing you right now. You just don't understand. That, that certain parts of your life may be falling apart. And what I would submit to you for, for you to consider, I don't know what's going on in everybody's life. Sometimes I barely know what's going on in my life. The reason that God may be withholding from you is not because he's holding you back, but because of your sin. God does not bless sin. God does not bless sin. He blesses sinners who repent. Uh, he call, we are not called to perfection. We just can't do it. One day we'll be there, but we just can't do it right now. But he wants us to be repentant sinners. Sinners who understand and convicted by God's spirit and then turn to Jesus' blood for forgiveness and healing and striving and power to live anew. God does not expect perfection. He expects repentance. You tracking with me here? We will not be used mightily by God if we don't come with a recognition that he is holy and we are not. And we do repent. 
We will not be blessed as a church if we as a whole tolerate sin in our midst. We just went through a leadership series, and one of the job of the leaders of the church is to call people who are in unrepentant sin, sin that they refuse to turn away from, back to God. It's difficult. It's awkward. It's a hard thing to do. There's, there might be some animosity, but if we don't do it, then we are not acknowledging that God is holy. And we are not acknowledging that sin is destroying us. Amen? Number five, leave everything else behind. Jesus calls them to literally leave everything else behind. For them, this was not metaphorical. They walked away from their business. They put their nets down. Okay? It was not metaphorical at all. Okay? And the question that I think we have to ask for us is, what do you have in your life that if God left you, asked you to leave it behind, you would say, absolutely not? That's a barrier. That's a barrier. What in, uh, what in your life do you have, or, or a person, or an ambition, or, or it could be uh, anything, that if God said, put that on the table, you would say, no way, can't do that. Here's another question. What is your greatest fear? What do you have that if it was taken away would crush you beyond repair? The disciples left everything because they knew what they were going to was better. They were willing to leave everything. And then finally, under this heading, they became fishers of men. The last cost, if you will, was Jesus says, here's your new product that you're going to catch. It's men. Christians, by definition, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to share your faith and to go out and try to catch men. And let me, let me just tell you how they caught fish, and then I'll tell you how we catch men. It's really simple, okay? I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. They went to where the fish were, they threw their nets, and they pulled them back up, okay? For us, the net is the gospel. That's what the Bible says. The gospel is the power for salvation for those who believe, okay? That's what the, that's what the net is. So the, the goal for us is to go to where the fish are and throw the net out. You can't control whether or not the fish are going to be in, get in the net. That's God's job. But you can throw the net out, right? Pray, go, throw. Okay? Pray, go, throw. Where, pray that God would give you opportunities. Pray that God would give you courage. Go. What, what relationships are you intentionally building where you live, work, and play Share, throw, uh, throw the net, give them the gospel, invite them to be a part of, to come here. I promise you I'll preach the gospel every single Sunday, and if I don't, just fire me, okay? All right? Josh is pretty good at it, too. The cost of following Jesus is high, but the return on investment is priceless. Number two, and then quickly, three things. What is the return on investment? Number one, piles and piles of fruit. Uh, what happens in this passage? More fish than their boat can handle, right? One of the reasons Jesus is doing this, I believe, is because we learn in the previous passage that Peter had a family. He wasn't just a single guy who could just put his backpack on and rough it. Peter had a family. He says in the previous passage that he had a mother-in-law, which means he had to have a wife, okay? Jesus is showing, you can follow me and trust me, I'll provide for you. See, like that, two boatloads of fish. Piles and piles of fruit. Guys, I'm, I'm convinced that it's not 
that the gospel doesn't work. It's not that the net doesn't catch fish. It's that we're not using it. Um, I was convicted about this months ago, and I started praying for my neighbors. And uh, in two weeks, one of them joins the church. That's God, okay? And that's the net, right? I'm not, I mean, if you've seen me throw a cast net, I'm not that great at it, all right? But it's the net, and it's God, all right? Number two, expect God to work like that, okay? Number two, purpose for life. I've had four men in the past month ask me how they can find purpose in their life. Here you go. Do you want to help people with the greatest need they're ever going to have? Do you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world? Do you want to leave a legacy that will never fade for all eternity? Do you want to put your head on the pillow at night and think, I am living a good life? Do you want to feel like you are a main player contributing to the winning team? Do you want to breathe your last breath with no regrets, looking to the people on the outside of your bed thinking, that was a good life? Well, here it is. Here it is. There's no higher calling. There's no higher calling than following Jesus with everything that you have. If the answer to those questions is yes, pay the cost. Finally, what you will reap, the return on investment, is to know Jesus and to follow him. By far, the greatest reward of the gospel is God himself. Isn't it beautiful in this passage that Jesus says to uh, Simon when he's on his knees, don't be afraid? Don't be afraid. Why? I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. Are you unsure of the next step? Don't worry. Jesus is there. Do you sin and need forgiveness? Huge problems in your life? Don't worry. Jesus is there. Are you lonely? No worries. Jesus is there. Has the cost of all this gotten to you? Don't worry. Jesus knows. And he knows a thing or two about paying the cost. The greatest blessing of the gospel is God, and you can trust him He's the treasure. He's the return on investment. In John chapter 21, uh, a very similar scene happens. Uh, Jesus has been crucified, and before he was crucified, Peter, this same guy, denies him three times. And then Jesus is crucified, and he resurrects from the, the dead. We talk about that Easter every single year. And uh, he, he appears to the disciples. And in the middle of the night, in John chapter 21, Peter says, You know what? I'm going fishing. And I think what may be going on there is Peter says, I can't be useful to God anymore. I just can't. Look what I did. I denied him three times in the hour of his greatest need. There's no way I can be useful anymore. And he says, listen, I'm going fishing. And he grabs some of the other disciples. He says, let's go fishing. So they go. The same thing happens. They spend all night out there. They don't catch a single thing. And then someone from the shores yells out and says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And guess what? Same thing happens. The boat, the net fills up, right? Um, and, and Peter puts on his garment and dives back into the water and then swims. He says, that's got to be Jesus. Swims there and, he's, and he eats breakfast with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ on the beach. And you know what Jesus' speech is? Peter, you're still my man. You're still my man. Go catch fish. Go catch men. And just a few chapters later, in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and preaches a sermon and brings in 2,000 men with that gospel net. It happened. And there was more fruit than he could possibly count. The cost of following Jesus is high, but the return on investment is priceless.
Keys Church. Praise the Lord with me. What a wonderful day. And let's watch and see, pray and work and see what God will do next. Amen? Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for all that you are doing for us, have done for us, and will do for us in Christ. And we ask God for the faith to believe and the power to go out and cast the net. Empower us, God. Help us break through the courage. Give us opportunities. Help us to lean and trust on you and submit to what you've told us to do. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand again.